This call is being recorded. Good morning, team. Thank you so much for jumping on my call today. Um, today is episode 142 of our Monday morning pep talk. It's And I'm going to talk about the 2022 housing market, kind of the talk tracks, the housing market talk tracks. And um, before I get into that, though, I want to remind everyone that my professional purpose is to help you, the broker, optimize your productivity and help you become the best version of yourself. Why? Because it is my feeling that happy brokers sell more real estate. And I do that by helping you handle challenges and opportunities that you face every single day. And if you can effectively manage these situations that arise on a daily basis in your business, you will be more productive and live a life that is the best version of you. And on this call, I want to take you through some documented economic factors that are impacting today's real estate market and give you some talk tracks at the end of this call to use in your conversations with your clients. Now, these talk tracks will allow you to set expectations with your buyers and sellers, which will make the process much more manageable um, for you you know, and for them. Okay. And we know that it's an extremely competitive market, um, which is difficult to navigate. All right. We know that it will be much more difficult if you and your clients don't fully understand the economic factors driving this craziness. Okay. Once you understand it, I think you'll be able to put your arms around it a little bit more. Now, before I start, um, in full disclosure, it's important for me to remind you that I am not an economist. I'm just very curious. Okay. Spent, you know, probably five, I don't know, we lost count, six or seven hours yesterday digging through Google and reading. I listened to several podcasts, you know, read a bunch of reports, spent a bunch of time Googling. Um, so I'm a, I'm a curious person that's just taking others people, other people's information. Um, but again, I am not an economist. I'm an editor. I take what I read and listen to, and I bring that information to you in a way that I feel is necessary for me to do as a leader. Okay. Now this call is my attempt to teach you what you should know uh, on a basic level to operate in this market. I cannot predict the future, but if I could, I'd be the wealthiest guy on the planet, right? If I could predict 100% what's going to happen in the future. So, um, you know, so that just is, you know, the reality here. Uh, I will be, like I said, referencing blogs and reports and podcasts and websites during this call. And the information I'm going to throw at you today could, you know, could change, you know, so what I'm discussing, you know, I have learned up until this morning and what I have read is, you know, I read the Sotheby's International Realty Luxury Outlook that was dated in January of 2022. I listened to the Goldman Sachs podcast, What's Ahead for the Housing Market, recorded January 20th, 2022, and it was dropped. I'm sorry. Um, it was recorded in December of last year, 
uh, and dropped in uh, in June or in, I'm sorry, in January. I listened to Tom Ferry's breakdown with uh, the T360's nine most important trends of 2022. That was dropped February 16th. I listened to Brian Buffini's bull predictions, number 308, recorded in December and dropped in January of 2022. I read the National Association of Realtors 2021 Home Buyers and Sellers Generational Trends Report. Okay. I did a lot of research on uh, Statista Research Department. Uh, which is a website. I, I reviewed some stuff through the U.S. Census Bureau, through skillwork.com, CNBC, etc. So that's where I got this content. Um, but let me go into some historical facts that I think you, that you might find interesting. Um, there was a major housing crash in 1978, okay, where the market dropped uh, about 50% in about four years. But in 1980, between 1980 and 1989, there were 12.14 million homes built. Okay, 12.14 million homes built during that decade. At that time in 1980, the U.S. population was 226.5 million. In 1980, the average sales price was $76,400. And there were 3 million houses sold in 1980. In 1978, there were 4 million. By 1982, there was only 2 million houses sold. So that's where that 50% drop came. Listen to this. The interest rate was 13.74%. 13.74%. In the 70s, it was up in the 15 and 16 and 17% range. That's what caused the housing market crash of the late 1970s. 1990 to 1999, there were 12.49 million homes built. The U.S. population in 1990 was 248.7 million. In 1990, the average home price sold that year was 149,800, and there were 3.3 million homes sold. The average interest rate in 1990 was 10.13%. Still incredibly high compared to what we have today. From 2000 to 2009, there were 14.56 million homes built. And many of you are starting to remember this part where in 05, 06, 07, the market was crazy. There was 14 point, like I said, 14.56 million homes built. The U.S. population in 2000 was 281.4 million. In the year 2000, the average sales price was 207,000, and there was just over 5 million units sold in the year 2000. The interest rate was still right at the low eights, 8.05% was the average interest rate. Now, this is where it gets interesting, and, and this is what I want to list you to listen to during the decade of, of 2010 to 2019. There were only 6.9 million homes built. Now, compared to the previous decade, 14.56. So almost an 8 million, uh, 8 million drop in the amount of homes built in that decade. 
while the U.S. population in 2010 had increased to 308.7 million. In 2010, the average sales price was 272,900. And that year, there was 4.18 million units sold. That is almost a million units less than that sold in 2000. Okay. The average interest rate had dropped all the way to 4.69% average interest rate. I remember when the interest rate dropped to 5%, everybody it was like a refi boom. I think it was the thanks around Thanksgiving in 2009. Crazy. And that's when it hit 5%. But in 2010, the average interest rate was 4.69%. Now, one decade later, okay. 2020 and into 2021, we don't really have full housing starts yet, but the U.S. population in 2020 was 3.31 million, okay? The average sales price in 2020 was 391,000. There were 5.65 million homes sold in 2020, despite that year of the pandemic. And the average interest rate as you know, is hovering in the low threes at 3.11. In 2021, last year, the average sales price jumped to 453,700. Now, if you look at the natural trend line from 1980 to 2021, it's a pretty, it's still on that natural trend line. There are some parts of the country, including Chicago, where we just barely got past the natural trend line of where we were or where we were back in 2007, okay? Very interesting. Housing price growth was relatively stagnant from 2014 to 2019, at least here in Chicago. It just, I remember it, it just never really did much in terms of pricing. But we did sell in 2021, 6.1 million homes sold, and that interest rate still hovered in that low 3% towards the end of 2021. Now we know that in 2022, the expectations are that that interest rate is going to increase um, pretty dramatically uh, for several reasons, okay? Which, as I get into affordability, we'll talk about it. But in 2019 and 2020, what we found is that the, and this this came out of the, the podcast on uh, with Goldman Sachs, but they really did a nice job of explaining what was happening towards the end of 2019 and 2020. If you remember, that market started to heat up. The imbalance of supply and demand for housing started to show signs of life in late 2019 and early 2020. Two years ago, we had a great first quarter, okay, until, you know, mid-March, all right? This is when the millennials started to enter the market after taking basically an entire decade off. This massive generation of, of, um, of population became the renter's generation. So for a full decade, previous decades bought in the early 20s. This decade, this generation um, started to buy in their late 20s, early, early 30s. Okay. So we just started to see them come into the market in late 19 and, um, you know, uh, early 2020. Why was that? That was the generation that saw their parents struggle through 
the financial crisis of 2007 to 2012, right? Where they saw their parents lose their homes, friends lose their homes, you know, family members, and they, they didn't want really much to do with it. They saw it as a risk more than a, a good financial tool. But that, that appetite came back in 2019. Now, March 20, March 2020, two years ago, almost to the day, COVID hits. The Dow dropped nearly 3,000 points on March 16th of 2020. I'll never remember. I'll never forget it. My family moved over to Michigan on March 17th for the better part of seven months. Um, real estate firms were preparing for 2020 annual sales to drop by 70%, by up to 70%. By late spring, early summer, the market started to show signs of life as the consumer started to plan for a lifestyle dominated by the pandemic. The consumer realized that in many cases that their housing situation was for the most, was the most important part of their lifestyle. Okay. Their need for a larger home outweighed the risk of contracting the virus. So they started shopping. And by July 2020, the market was in full swing for most areas. It surprised so many people. Okay. Um, July 2020 through today has been the hottest real estate market in a generation. A, a, a real estate market that many of us will probably never see again or have not seen up until this point. Now, five reasons, you know, here's some reasons why the, why inventory, you know, five reasons why we have low, the low inventory, high demand market that we've seen since July of 2020. We have low supply because of the lack of home construction between 2010 and 2019. I, I pointed it out, only 6.9 million homes were built in that decade it did not keep up with population growth which we are experiencing which which we're experiencing now cnbc reported that the us the united states is short 5 million homes we are short 5 million homes the second reason there's a significant imbalance of supply and demand we know that the pent-up demand of millennials buying their first home because it's affordable. There's a high affordability rate with low mortgage interest rates and the pricing made it cheaper to buy than to rent, okay? They came off the sidelines and droves overwhelming the market. Millennials are, and here's a quote, millennials are entering the home buying market in mass, shedding their title of the renter generation as they reach new life milestones with 4.8 million millennials turning 30 or turn 30 in 2021 and they're increasingly relying on wealth transfers according to real estate agents meaning money coming from family now if you remember in last decade especially here in chicago what was the trend high rises being built you know there were so many cranes in, you know, in downtown Chicago, building high amenity rental buildings. Why? Because millennials wanted to rent. They did not want to buy and they wanted high amenities and they wanted flexibility in their lifestyle. So they so they could move from, you know, uh, from city to city and not have anything tying them down. So what did our what did the builders build? 
build. They built high rise, high amenity, um, you know, properties in great locations and got massive rents for them. That is a very sluggish market now, as many of those buildings are not at full capacity. Number three, an extreme amount of money is in the market. An extreme amount of money is in the market today to deploy, okay? Nearly $70 trillion will be passed down from older generations from 2018 to 2042, according to, a, to data from market research firm Cirilli and Associates. And more millennials continue to use their share of that wealth transfer for real estate with home showings becoming a family affair. So a lot of this real estate that's being bought is being bought for a family being passed that will be passed down. Um, you know, so number four, migration to desirable low cost and suburban markets was made possible because of remote work opportunities. There's a significant amount of the population now that can work remotely so they can be flexible in where they live. So that pushed people to trade and move and get out of, you know, uh, a rental environment. All of these worlds collided. It was a natural, perfect storm. And number five, the desire for improved lifestyle focused not just on the primary home, but also on second homes and investment properties. Okay. Second homes and future generations were just for the uber wealthy. Okay. Now you see people buying Airbnbs and, you know, investment properties and second homes and other markets. And that's not that big of a deal anymore. Right. So there's just so much demand for real estate. All right. So here's the challenge. Inventory issues are here to stay. Okay. They're here to stay for the foreseeable future, which will have an impact on first-time buyers and move-up buyers for the following reasons. And my job here is not to bum you out, right? Um, it's just to set, set the expectation today that we are in a low inventory market for the foreseeable future. And there's five reasons why, okay? I'm sorry, eight reasons why. Real estate is a sexy investment. Hard assets are a popular hedge against inflation. We are in an inflationary environment and real estate is a place to hedge investment or head, you know, is, a, is, is an investment to hedge against inflation. I remember back in 2009 going to, you know, um, cocktail parties and things like that for our school. And if I would say, if people knew, people avoided me like the plague because I was in real estate, they wanted nothing to do with it. They want to talk to me about it. Today, that's completely different. Everybody wants to know what their property's worth. If they've got an opportunity, it's like, you know, it's a completely different deal. Okay. Another reason why there is going to be inventory issues for the foreseeable future, supply chain issues. For developers, a sudden spike in price of construction material compounded by a chronic shortage of labor um, can change the entire calculus of a project. Even a shortage of basic appliances like stoves and refrigerators are slowing things down. The thing we've been seeing the most, quote unquote, the most problem is getting 
is actually getting appliances. You can pay for whatever you want. They just don't have them. The suppliers just do not have them. Delayed building deliveries mean that developers' equity remains tied up in existing projects rather than investing in new ones, okay? Further slowing down the new construction pipeline and leaving builders to assess whether their new projects are financially feasible at all based on cost, okay? It could be 2024 or 2025 before we see some kind of pickup in new supply. The entire economics of building a building has really been turned on its head and it's going to take a number of years to heal. Then once it heals, it will take a number of years to get supply. Now that came right out of the Sotheby's International Realty Luxury Outlook. Team, I had, I've got to change out the windows in my property, um, which I thought was gonna be this year. I thought I was doing great by getting in, you know, getting them into the house in early March to measure. And, and I thought it'd be three to four months, hopefully getting it done this summer. I was told that it's going to be anywhere from six to 12 months, six to 12 months to get windows. And I'm going to have to track them down and be all over them to get the order done and get in their pipeline. That's how crazy it is. Um, Number three, the lack of skilled trade labor in 2008, the 2008 recession, um, the lack of education and the push to trade labor, labor stereotypes and a retiring workforce is leading to skilled labor shortage, shortages. Okay. 2008, people stopped building, right? So, you know, if you were a plumber, you know, you couldn't get a job. So you had to move into other areas. You had to move into other jobs to pay the bills, okay? Um, The lack of education on what it means to be a trade laborer, right, is something that doesn't happen anymore. There's stereotypes about, you know, those type of jobs, et cetera. Probably not for long when I tell you what I'm about ready to tell you. Plumbers in Seattle, based on this article, are making $200,000 a year. $200,000 a year, and they cannot hire people. They cannot hire enough people at that number. Lack of skilled labor is making it difficult to supply housing inventory. Number four, buyers, especially millennials, prefer move-in ready. We know this. Turnkey properties that are move-in ready and don't require major renovations or repairs are also increasingly attractive to millennials, particularly those looking in the luxury space. Most millennials don't want to do any work on a property to avoid dealing with the challenges of getting permits paired with the mentality that they're too busy working and the value with and the value with friends over remodeling or taking on a big project. That was quoted by by a broker out of our San Francisco brokerage. People want to move in, get on with their life. We know that. Right. So this is important as you're talking to your sellers that they've got to make that property move in ready. They want to get them if they want to maximize their price. Um, number five, you, you, municipalities have made it hard for developers to build large scale developments. Land is not readily available. Municipalities are making it harder and harder to build. It takes five years, give or take, to build a large project from idea completion at a minimum. Okay, so new large scale developments are not going to be the immediate answer to the inventory issues in most municipalities. 
I know for a fact that in Chicago, many large developers have left for alternative markets like Nashville and Phoenix. Single family home permits and starts are way up in the, you know, for single family homes and small condo projects. But that still will not solve the inventory issues for a long time. The builders just cannot build fast enough for that $5 million, $5 million home deficit. All right. Technology is not disruptive in the, in the development, construction, and real estate space. The guy on Goldman Sachs said that, you know, you, he was a builder and has been in the building industry, or the, the one they interviewed was the CEO and president of Toll Brothers. And he said, if you go out to a job site, it's basically the same as it was 30 years ago. Subcontractors on the job site, you know, doing plumbing, HVAC, electric, low voltage, insulation, drywall. The process has not changed. Similar to the process for real estate brokerage, right? Still brokers negotiating deals, develop, you know, pushing the deal down through to close. Now, technology has helped in project management and some efficiencies here and there. But re in reality, technology has not been able to disrupt and, you know, put huge efficiencies into the world of home building because it's just so custom. The process is so custom. Every home is different. Every client is different. We know that, which for us, I want you to remember this. This is what's going to keep us in our jobs is the fact that technology just cannot disrupt. It's having a really difficult time disrupting construction and real estate brokerage. Number eight, decreased affordability due to inflation and higher interest rates will not drastically impact demand. There's so much demand out there that even with the lack, as affordability goes down because of interest rates and, you know, the housing, you know, costs, et cetera, that means that you're just going to get three to four offers instead of 15 to 30. Okay. So there's still going to be, you know, significant demand. That pricing will slow a little bit for sure. Um, but, you know, as some more and more people maybe, you know, uh, decide not to buy for whatever reason. So if you look, team, if you look at basic economics 101, supply drives pricing. And I just gave you a bunch of reasons why supply is not going to be impacted anytime soon. Okay. Increased supply is nowhere to be found in the immediate future, which means that there will be upward pricing pressure. It'll slow but there's going to be pressure. All we can do as agents um, is, is review these current stats and marketing conditions with our clients. Now I've given some broad national views. So you need to look at the hyper local stats in your market. Jamison agents, you've got the market snapshot, you know, that are, you know, reports that our marketing department puts out quarterly. They're excellent. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. You should be using that to track and communicate with your clients. Now, my talking points here as, as I wrap up, and I'm sorry that I'm going a little bit longer, but this is a lot of data that I collected yesterday. There's some major footnotes and opportunities from today's call for you, the broker, to use moving forward. I'm telling you right now, if you have not pivoted to a mindset of an extended low inventory market, 
you need to make that mind shift now. Kind of like I had my real estate heart attack back in, you know, 2008, where I realized this mar- that market was not going to change anytime soon. And I was right. It didn't change until 2013. Um, what I'm telling you right now is you need to realize that it's not going to change. And you got you to make sure that you are building your business around relationships. Okay. I've given over the last two or three calls, I've given you guys some good data and content on how to how to survive this market. Number two, remember transactions are closing. Um, transactions are closing over the last year and a half at a clip we've never seen before. Yes, it's difficult for you and your clients, but I would take this market any day over a distressed scenario that we saw from 2008 to 2012, where buyers did not want to buy. And sellers thought that their property was worth 20% more than it was. That was that was an incredibly stressful time that you want nothing to do with. This buyers are buying right now. They're they it's gonna take a little bit. You might have to go through multiple opportunities, get them into a property, but you it's a much better scenario than sitting there with literally no demand, no activity. Number three, know your role. You are not an economist, just like I stated earlier. You are not a financial advisor. You are a real estate broker, and your, and your fiduciary responsibility is to help your buyer clients identify the best possible property and terms for them. Okay, On the list side, your fiduciary responsibility is to help your client identify the best possible buyer and terms for their property. Let me say that again. On the list side, your fiduciary responsibility is to help your client identify the best possible buyer and terms for the property. That means get it out to as many people as possible. Your responsibility as an agent is your client. Period. In the story. Number four, if you have strong relationships, you will win. Not only will you win, but you will win in any market. If you haven't started focusing on your hot list, warm list, and top 100, you need to you need to start with that right away. Okay, your warm list clients are um, for your warm list clients that are not ready for competitive reasons. You need to stay in touch. This will this market will slowly shift, so you need to be there when they are ready. Okay, number six, if you are stressed. Your clients will be stressed. Say that again. If you are stressed, your clients will be stressed. This market is tough and you need to professionally navigate your clients through this low inventory market. The expectations are set with yourself that it's tough, that it's going to be challenging in a different way than we've seen in in any other market. If you set those expectations for yourself, and you set them for your client, you'll navigate it in a way that if you don't, it'll be it'll be much better if you those set expectations will be set. Okay, just is what it is. Seven. There is never a better time to be a true uh, true professional with your fellow brokers in the marketplace. Brokers have a long memory, and if you are not acting in a professional manner, that could impact you in a future negotiation. Be a pro. Be fair. 
and it'll come back to you at some point. Number eight, setting proper expectations with your clients will be extremely important, like I said. All right. So how do you communicate? I'm, I'm about done, guys, here, but I wanted to get through a few points on how you can communicate this to your clients. These are your talk tracks. What are your, you know, your talk tracks need to happen during these initial consultations. You should never go out with the buyer until you've sat down and done an initial consultation. You need to know how ready and prepared they are for a market that we're in right now. Okay. Here are my suggestions, but please use your own words. Mr. and Mrs. Client, I am not an economist or a financial advisor. My job is to help you identify the best possible available property for you. All I know that there is all I know is that there is a significant supply and demand imbalance. Okay. Which is going to continue to drive pricing. All right. And you can go back, go back through this call and pick your, 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 your favorite talking points, cost of construction, millennials coming into the marketplace in droves. You can point all of that, point to those two or three data points. Okay. Um, I'm going to, you want to promise them, I'm going to do my, my, I'm going to do my best to get you the possible, best possible data on the properties that you are interested in. Okay. You know, the question you get a lot from buyers is, you know, what, what should I offer on this? What should I offer on this to get this property? The best thing you can do is go back over, go through that market and look back at the last 10 deals that closed. Look at the, the uh, sales or the listing price and then the closed price. In a lot of cases, it's going to be a closed price higher than where it was listed. That's going to give you a percentage, three, five, seven percent over ask. And you can say these last 10 deals, it took a three to five percent over ask to get it closed. That's probably what you're looking at. OK, but to just wing at and say, oh, you hope that this will get it done. You can say I, you, can, you don't know, but the last 10, it took three percent, five percent over ask. In some markets, 20 percent over ask to get it done. Okay, number three, the market is extremely competitive. Competitive, it will be frustrating unless you know what you're getting getting yourself into. Mister and Mrs. Buyer, we could write five, six, seven offers or more before we find you your home, or we could find it on the first one. That would be that'd be great, but that's not what I'm finding. My average is about three to four. Okay, what we do know. Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, that we have to be ready and we have to be aggressive. Number four, we have to act fast. There will be no, we don't have time to review the contract. So let's go over the contract during this initial, you know, um, consultation. Make sure that you understand all the terms that we're going to be negotiating. Let's make sure that we have your transaction team ready to go. Let's get that done first. Let's review everything that we need to review in advance. And when we find our property, you'll be ready to go. Number five, if the timing is not right, there's no need for you to even enter the market until you are 100% ready to go and be aggressive where the timing is right. Let me save you a bunch of time by doing that. Why? What's the reason? Because the market will most likely be completely different 
when you're ready than what it is right now. What you can afford now, you might not be able to afford in four months, five months, six months, seven months, based on interest rates, based on affordability, based on pricing, all of that. Okay, that was a lot. But my point is, you, my friends, have to set proper expectations with yourself before you can properly represent your clients. If you go in not understanding what I just went, what I just talked about, and you're stressed about the inventory situation that we're in, guess what? You're going to, you're going to stress out your clients. You just, it is what it is. Need to, you know, you need to get your arms around it and you will find properties for your clients. But you have to just get your arms around what it is we're dealing with here. If you set expectations, proper expectations with yourself, your clients provide an extreme amount of value. If you stay calm and be part of the solution, you will win in this market. My job is to make sure that if I see a need for us all to pivot, then I will let you know. Okay. I, what do I do all day, every day? I listen to people. I am keeping my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the market, not just here, but around the country. Okay. And so know that I'm keeping an eye out for this, but right now you need to get your arms around what we're dealing with and understand that it's not going to be changing anytime soon. And you need to set that expectation, not just with yourself, but with your clients. I went a long time to get today, a long time today. This is maybe the longest call I've done in, a, I don't know, a couple of years. Um, but I appreciate all of you hanging in there with me. Uh, and hopefully you found it really helpful. Have a great, have a good week, everyone. I will talk to you soon.